Welcome to Art is Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums, on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is Sherilyn Morrow. She currently serves as a professor of physics and astronomy at Georgia State University with a focus on innovative instruction and education research. As of August 1st, she'll be leaving her professorship to do some soul searching and to focus more on the pursuit of her artistic dreams. In addition to her passion for developing the minds and hearts of students and teachers in the context of science education, Dr. Morrow is also a singer and budding songwriter. She's a strong advocate and practitioner of integrating music and the arts in service to science education and loves to communicate in ways that transform rather than inform. Sherilyn has invented Astro Jazz, a multisensory public education program that integrates live jazz music with beautiful imagery and the wonders of astronomy. For Astro Jazz, Morrow sings, co-composes songs, writes all the lyrics or lyrical parodies, researches the science content, and prepares the animated PowerPoint slides that accompany the songs and that interweave astronomical commentary and audience interactivity throughout the program. In June of 2012, the Imaleo Astronomy Center in Hilo, Hawaii, hosted Astro Jazz in support of the NASA-sponsored outreach activities related to the June 5, 2012 Venus Transit of the Sun. She also served as a science and education commentator for the NASA webcast of this rare celestial event from atop Hawaii's 14,000-foot volcano, Mauna Kea. I'm not even sure if I'm saying those right, but we'll get, we'll get Sherilyn to fix us on that early, later. Uh, Sherilyn's personal interests include various adventures in aviation, athletics, and the arts. She loves to sing, dance, fly, dive, climb, run, run trails, and practice yoga. Uh, she also writes. She has trained extensively with pioneer jazz vocalist and improvisational wizard Rhiannon. So thank you, Sherilyn. I'm so glad that you could be here today. Oh, thank you, Vanessa. So I would love for you to explain, expand a little bit on Astro Jazz and how that came about and what that is. Astro Jazz was a brainchild of my a healing process. I had a bad breakup in my mid-30s and, and the integration of my own head and heart led to the idea that I could integrate my artistic and scientific pursuits. And so I'm trained formally as, you know, an astronomer, uh, very passionate about education and realized that my interest in music could also be developed to integrate, interweave music, uh, astronomy, education, put that all together in a, in a way that would inspire people to greater connectivity with their cosmos. That's, that's my real passion, is developing humans and human potential to feel a greater intimacy with, with uh, their universe. They are the universe themselves. So I think it's interesting that, that this show is actually airing on the date that you're leaving your professorship and that you're moving more into your artistic arena. You know, Vanessa, thank you for saying that because... I actually decided on the way here that August 1st would be my artistic birthday. 
in a big way. It's it's got a number of things going for it. Um, it's also the day I witnessed the birth of a human being. Um, my godson uh, uh, Arthur, uh, I actually was in the room with his mother as he came into the world on an August first. August first is the date of my final day at Georgia State University, and also today is special. You know, July twentieth is an anniversary of our her first human on the moon. Uh, it's also the anniversary of my PhD uh, defense <laughs> uh, several years ago now. And so these dates that we've chosen to speak with one another are um, are significant. Well, and I have you always been interested in, in singing and in music, or was that something that you came to later in life? That's a great question. I remember my father playing the piano throughout my childhood, he taught us, you know, went to the animal fair, and we were a singing family all along. My mother loved to harmonize and so on. Neither of them did anything professionally along those lines. So I was always a singer and didn't really realize my potential for singing out, as they say, uh, until that healing experience, which I went into thinking, oh, well, i got to see a psychologist because of what's going on, and then wound up feeling like, Mm, there's more of a relationship between the psychological and the spiritual than I first thought. And in fact, I came out of that nine-month experience uh, believing that, in fact, mental health, good psychology, good spirituality really had a lot to do with each other. And so it wasn't until that time in my mid-30s when I started, I was singing with a Unity Church choir and started to come out as a soloist. And it was very nerve-wracking, but I had learned in psychology that when a psychological fear emerges, run to it, because it's the way we develop and transform. Wow, that's really powerful. So I, I'm so interested in your bio, and my um, my dad was a science teacher, and he helped to start um, a youth museum in southern West Virginia, and was instrument, instrumental in that, getting started, and so he was always about you know, presenting things in different ideas. So he would he would love that I'm talking to you. Oh um, yeah. But I and he was always um he was always one that tried to teach us the stars. You know, he would always take us out and show us the stars and the constellations. And one of his um one of his great dreams in life was that he would have loved to have been able to go to the moon and wasn't wasn't able to do that, although he did work at the Goddard Space Center for, for a time. Oh, so wonderful. Yeah. He would I think would love to talk with him. Um, I lost my own dad over the Christmas holiday this last, uh, uh, this last year. But, um, and I love the science museum ways of doing business. They've been more into this integration of the arts and music and service to science education than the formal education structure. I think there's some wonderful things we could do to make science learning of greater interest uh, right to to a broader swath of people, if we could come in on the wavelengths of artistry and and uh, and music. Absolutely. Well, and my dad actually passed away a, a, about a year and a half ago, but you know he was a teacher uh, up to the very end, and actually even donated his body to science to continue being a teacher, which I think is just um, a, a true expression of who he was through his whole life that's 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 really really beautiful and so we would be kindred in absolutely the passion for science education and how that links to art and spirits and and uh, all of that that's right so at what point did you start thinking of yourself as an artist that's a a wonderful question uh, you know that you provided me in advance and i've done a lot of reflecting on that i think that's there's a different answer to that question of when i 
started thinking of myself as an artist and when others might have started thinking of me as an artist. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think, I think it's right now. I think it's in this transition where I'm giving up, you know, uh, a big bag professional position without a clear indication of what's next and really putting myself out there to pursue artistic uh, inclinations more seriously and more full-time. And so I'm coming into my identity as an artist, although I've been practicing as an artist in terms of music and so on, you know, for the last, what, 15 years or so. So I think it's a different answer to say, um, how long have you been an artist? Maybe all my life in a certain sense, right? I, I mean, I think... I've had that sensibility, but it's taken some time for me to own that. You know, I am an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an artist among artists, not something I do on the side of an otherwise, you know, dominating career. Right. Right, in science. So that, that's the transition and transformation I'm in the midst of right now. So I would love for you to describe a little more about this work that you did in Hawaii with this Venus transit um, celestial event. Can you talk about that and what the Astro Jazz event was with that? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited to share anything about that. It was really an extraordinary benchmark for me personally, professionally, as well as for the planet. I mean, Venus transit of the sun is essentially, uh, it happens only a couple of times every century. So no one alive today will see it again. Um, but it is the silhouettes of the planet Venus, which orbits inside the orbit of the Earth around the sun. It passes between the Earth and sun and casts its silhouette onto the big, bad, powerful sun. It's kind of like a, maybe would, you could imagine a, a pea passing over a basketball, right? That would be the relative scale. So it's not visually extraordinary, uh, like a total solar eclipse of the sun would be. But still, to witness from Earth's perspective the silhouette of Venus crossing the face of the sun. Ooh, you know, and we, uh, I was privileged to be a part of a team that webcasts this celestial event to the world from atop the volcano Mauna Kea, uh, which you mentioned earlier in your introduction. And AstroJazz is an event we conducted in the Imiloa Astronomy Center in Hilo, Hawaii, on the Big Island, a couple of days before the actual transit. So we were raising awareness among people and doing a kind of musical event in the Planetarium Dome with extraordinary imagery and guest artists and so on to sort of warm up the opportunity to webcast. And the thing I want to say, the symbolism of feminine rising, right, the symbol of goddess beauty you know the planet venus which is beautiful in the sky many people have probably noticed the bright light in the sky in the west just after sunset earlier this year now we have the transit phenomena where it passes between the earth and sun and now of course it's appeared as a morning star that's a little harder to see in the summer because you got to get up real early to see it in the east before sunrise. So Venus is out there in the east before sunrise glowing brilliantly so people can look up and see it, and I'm always encouraging them to do that. But the thing I want to mention about that webcast is very strong, smart, accomplished people, scientists and science educators, were 
coming together like I've never experienced before. Their egos were out of the way. We all collaborated and were very generous with each other in service to communicating this rare celestial event to the planet. There was something higher about what we were doing, and everyone felt it. And I have never before been in so – I just consider this hope for the world <laughs> that, that really bright people – can come together like that so generously and so passionately to communicate an event like this. That is, that is my kind of scene. That's, that's really is very encouraging and wonderful that you and so many other people were able to experience that. Is that webcast um, available as a, as a recording that people can watch? Yes, it is. I mean, it's a seven hour (laughs) thing, but there, there's, there's some fun parts of it. The, The other thing, these NASA edge guys who were creating this opportunity uh, also, NASA Goddard folks were were in the leadership role of this as well. I, that connects to your father's uh, right. participation at NASA Goddard. But um, yes, that webcast was recorded in its entirety and is, exists in 18 episodes on a website I can give you. Maybe you can link to it if you yeah. wish. Yeah, if you could send me that, I'll I'll make sure to connect that to the web to to my artist worship website so folks can go watch Marvelous. that if they would like to. Sure, and maybe I can determine which of the episodes feature some of the things that uh, I think they might do a highlights uh, reel. And certainly one of the things was I got to take my kinesthetic astronomy. I sang a song by Becky Reardon called Venus Star of Love were a part of it, and I had some young teenage women who were helping me do a demonstration of what was happening as Venus passed between the Earth and Sun and went from being evening star, transiting, becoming morning star. And so that was fun integration of art and music, song, science, that is the kind of thing that I'm really passionate about. So that's one of the reasons why this was such a great... event to mark the passage of uh, what I think I'm going to be up to here. So what kind of, um, what kind of venues would be showing your, would be um, producing your Astro Jazz or, or presenting your Astro Jazz programs? That's a beautiful question, and I've been experimenting with that these last years. Its debut was in a planetarium at the University of Colorado in 2005. And then, you know, a couple of, uh, of these have happened a year. I'd like to make that more. But uh, in addition to planetariums, we've done it in musical auditoriums. Um, it's been done in Morocco. Uh, it's, uh, it's been done in churches. Uh, in fact, uh, a recent demo at the uh, Unitarian Universalist uh, Church uh, here in Atlanta was uh, led to an outreach on the part of the Decatur Healing Arts Studio uh, to consider could this sort of thing be done here. So... While the Planetarium Dome offers some unique features of things that you could add to to such an event in terms of the immersion quality of it, it still has power as long as you have a reasonably good-sized screen and a sound system. uh, You know, you can uh, do it in a lot of different venues. So I'm exploring the possibilities. I'm really excited. I also did it uh, in Unity Village. My stepmother is a trainer. She's a teacher of Unity Ministers Mm -hmm. uh, up in Missouri. And uh, yeah, her name is E.J. Niles. And she and my dad invited me up there for one of their Lyceum conferences to do Astro Jazz as part of the conference. And that was very interesting to really... um, interact with an audience of very spiritual people gathered, 
the theme was science and spirit, and they really enjoyed it. And that has given me some feeling that I would love to become more of a science teacher of people of spirit, of artists and people of spirit to inspire their activities and their enliven their metaphors and and you know just collaborate in in that way to communicate how we need to grow up as a species and uh, and make a better world. So were you always interested in science as as you were growing up and as a child? My passion started actually via the con- the, uh, the the portal of aviation. At, at age five, I read a book called Anne Can Fly, and the little girl gets to take the controls of the airplane uh, from her father on their way to Girl Scout camp. And that made me, wow, you know, a girl could fly. And that led me to an interest in the space program. And, of course, when I was growing up, the Apollo program was uh, – actually, it was the Gemini, Mercury, Gemini, then Apollo. So I followed folks to the moon and remembered at age 11 looking up, seeing the moon and imagining people on it. I was so excited about that. And that looking up process that began and was stimulated by NASA's space program, I – got me stimulated, went to the guidance counselor in high school and said, what do I have to do to get involved in the space program? And she said, take as much science and math as you possibly can. And that was it. I took every science and math class I could. And that eventually led to um, getting a private pilot's license, going to grad school uh, you know, at the University of Colorado. And basically, you know, anything that was up Anything that was up there in the atmosphere and out in space, boy, that was my my thing. So I think the seeds of this started very, very young. And, of course, when I moved to Colorado, being able to see more of a dark night sky compared to when uh, I was living on the East Coast was a even more stirring thing. So even as I became a young adult, I, it just got further stirred. And then, let me say, that part of my message these days is out there, is right here. And I try to excite my students and other audiences in regards to all of the star stuff and Big Bang stuff is in in you. It's in the tip of your thumb. And there are more atoms in the tip of your thumb than there are stars in the observable universe. There's all kinds of ways in which we are so much of the universe and the energies of that of that evolving universe. So I like to extend that what we think of as out there and out there in space and out there in universe and the stars is here. Our star, our star, the sun is right here and here on earth. All of the stuff we're made of, all the quantum physics and relativity and electromagnetism, all that's going on in your body, right? It's so It's so interesting to really try to convey that this is not separate, that out here, out there is right here. That is amazing. Mm. I know that you uh, do a lot of different things. I mean, you have this interest in science and connecting science and art together, and you sing and you also write songs. Do you have a process of how you get into the zone of creativity, and is it different for the different activities that you do? I think there are two things I'd like to share with that. Um, because the answer is sort of, but the answer is really no. There's not much difference. I guess what I've learned is I've learned more about creativity. Is that I somehow wound up being 
inherently a creative person. I just, and one of the enormous sources of creativity I find is at interfaces between things that seem at the face of it not related. And so things like science and spirit, art and science, these things that we've divided. In fact, indigenous people don't even have separate words for science and religion and art. I mean, these things are blended uh, together. And that is where I feel activated as a human being, to really study what's at those interfaces personally and there in the world. And that is a source of stimulation of creativity. Also, I would say meditation has been a it's it's becoming increasingly important to me to really find my time for meditation i recently recently completed training as a yoga teacher as well and that's permitted me to say some more spiritual things out loud before people then i felt a little maybe comfortable doing in a science classroom although i've gotten a little bit bolder there too uh, looking for those ways that link to an audience that's primarily spiritual or primarily scientific and how do you communicate in a way that speaks to those audiences but also challenges them to, to move further along? So I would say that other people are a great stimulation, that co-creative aspect, right, in collaborating with a variety of people from a variety of domains, playing at the interfaces, and then finding my contemplative time for the gifts of the universe to arrive, right? Holding a general intention and then allowing ideas to come. Uh, they, they seem to me like gifts sometimes. My most recent song that's emerged, uh, it's called uh, Feminine Rising. And it, it, I knew on top of that mountain in Mauna Kea that I, a song was going to come of this. And there was a beautiful photo. Maybe we can put this photo on your site as well. But of the young teenage women who were working with me to do the kinesthetic demonstration and so on. And we, right after the webcast, we were all jumping. <sighs> and the man, he, we were jumping and silhouetting the sunset on top of Mauna Kea. Wow. And so we're all silhouetted and we, our arms are thrown into the air and our feet are off the ground. And it's just such a beautiful depiction of feminine rising. So now, weeks later, just knowing that there was that intention, but not knowing what it was going to be. I'm sitting at, at a restaurant after a yoga class where I've had a very deep, great shavasana. You know, I had a lovely meditative end to the practice, which had been quite vigorous. And I was sitting waiting for my food, and here it came. The lyrics started to come, the melody started to come, and it practically wrote itself. And it, I, I, I had, it felt like a gift, right, with only an intention and a framing and an inspirational event to sort of just put out there, to seed that somehow in my consciousness and then let it cook. So do you carry around paper and digital recorder and things with you to be able to capture things as they come to you? I'm realizing it's so critical. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I need to be more conscientious about that. Um, in fact, the Feminine Rising song began to come, and fortunately, my goddaughter and her mother, um, Moira and uh, you know, and uh, her mother Jan gave me for Christmas a little, uh, a little note taker that has a pen that clips right in it, so I don't have to search for a pen. I can just pull that little thing out, and that's where the song began. And uh, so that I really loved that uh, I had that tool that had been given me at Christmas, 
And yes, I have a digital recorder. It needs to find its way into my purse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you don't have it with you, it doesn't really help. But, oh, but you know what? I just got this cool new cell phone, a new smartphone, a, you know, that actually has an audio recorder on it. Oh, excellent. So now if I just carry around my cell phone, I'm, then now you've made me think of that. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm excited about its capacity to, to audio record ideas. Oh, that's awesome. So you were mentioning a few minutes ago about the classroom and about that you've become more comfortable saying things um, about the spiritual connections in the classroom. Are, in the years that you've been in the classroom, have you found that there's been a shift in the the receptiveness of your students or the ch- a change in the consciousness of your students? Beautiful question. I love your interviewing. This is really it's very stimulating. I... I designed and taught the first two runnings of a course called Gateway to Physics, which is basically for all physics majors, but open to anyone else who's interested. I ran an experiment of using the Dalai Lama's book, Universe in a Single Atom, which I commend to anyone's attention. He's one of the people that speaks the most eloquently, I think, about this interface between science and spirit in a way that really embraces science, some of his best friends and colleagues have uh, our scientists who've been in dialogue with him for many years and so he's a very credible spiritual source for talking about science if you will so i believe I, he's one of those interface people that i pay attention to um, along with people like michael dowd who started out as a minister but uh, married an astronomer educator wife and and now preaches the gospel of modern cosmology if you will <laughs> um But it was fascinating, the reaction from students to sign a book written by a spiritual leader in a physics class. And there were two kinds of reactions. Uh, One, a little more traditional. We have have a traditional um, religious student, more a little bit perhaps more fundamental in their views and not perhaps as open uh, to to a... um, how shall I say, a potentially more evolved form of spirituality that doesn't reject science or get nervous about science, right? Uh, But also uh, students who had rejected that more fundamentalist form, a more dog, I won't say fund, let me say dogmatic, let me use the word dogmatic, because I don't think it's science versus religion anymore. And what I try to explain is that it's really dogma versus inquiry. Do we have open-ended inquiry? Do we have dogma? Somebody telling you what to think and believe, or are you inquiring deeply for yourself? And that's true of science and spirituality. So one of the big bridges, I think, between science and spirituality is, are you inquiring? Is it an open-ended inquiry? Because we all know that in our lives, our every time I teach astronomy or physics, people ask me, what do you, do you believe in God? Right? And I say, you know, I believe in a ceaseless, restless, creative energy in the universe. And if we want to call that God, that's cool. That's great. And those words, in fact, come from um, from uh, a Harvard professor named Robert Keegan, who was asked a similar question. And I feel like students are receptive to these ideas if you bridge effectively. And because many of them have rejected the dogmatic forms of religion, but they've re- directed religion completely as a result, and they don't recognize that there are other forms of spirituality. There is spiritual life after science, I guess, is what I want to say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's really powerful. So um, 
how has your spiritual evolution affected your art or how has your art affected your spiritual evolution? Oh, that's a great question too. Um, when I was younger, I thought, well, I want to develop myself in physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual ways. As I've developed more as a human being and been through some transformative experiences, I now see spirituality as more of a container of the physical, intellectual, and emotional development, <laughs> that it is that which contains all of this experience that we have as, as human beings. Uh, so... I would say that, you know, I went from a young child believing in a bearded guy standing on a cloud to a much more pervasive sense uh, of divinity and, and spirituality. And that that deeply informs, it is all about what creativity of, of a consciousness is. And I practice now a conscious connection with that God self in order to be connected to that source, which I think is the source of all creativity. So how can, I how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about Astro Jazz and the work that you're doing? Well, uh, Gmail, you know, Sherilyn.morrow at uh, gmail.com is an uh, email. I'm, anybody, I'm welcome to invite anyone who wants to communicate to do that. There's also a website, astrojazz.net, which I'm in the process of morphing in the same way as my bio to reflect uh, a deeper commitment uh, to my artistic self. So why don't you spell your name for the folks that are just oh, listening sure. and not actually looking at the website? Sure. Sherilyn rhymes with Marilyn. It's C-H-E-R-I-L-Y-N-N dot morrow, like tomorrow. It's M-O-R-R-O-W at gmail.com. That's great. So is there any last thing that you would like to tell our listeners before we, before we close? Oh, just, I'll just say... Seek ways to find deep connectivity with your cosmos. You know, it, the universe is clearly a very creative place, and all of us inherit that beautiful story of evolution and creativity. And we got to own it. We got to own it. And as we do own it, our own creativity and what we're here for, our soul's code will find its expression in the world, what we're here to contribute. And I love the idea that what enlivens us is what the world needs. Yeah. I love that idea too. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It really has been fascinating to have you on the show today. And I so appreciate you coming in to do that. A great pleasure, Vanessa. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of art as worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash art as worship, or suggest an artist that we should interview. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.